Have you ever wondered why leading and influencing others is so darn hard? Are you sitting on the sidelines wondering, did career management change and I didn't get the memo? Are you tasked with engaging employees in ways that produce high-performing, inclusive cultures? If you said yes to any of these, then welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Here, I interview experts and other leaders who have broken the code and are navigating complex issues and uncertainty. They set goals for themselves, their teams, and their organization, and over time, close the gap between where they are today and where their vision leads them for tomorrow. Listen as we tell the truth about leading and career navigation and offer practical lessons that work for everyone. I'm going to strike this really, really different than the others. Have you ever thought about your privacy? Have you thought about when you're working in a company, do you have the assumption that your company is keeping your data private? When you're walking down the street and, you know, you're catching any free internet that might be going around connecting to it, have you ever thought about Is it really private? Even if it's got the lock sign when you're in a hotel, when you're in the airport, is it really, really private? And ultimately, why should you care? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. In the workplace, it is getting more and more important that we think about our privacy or cybersecurity. There are almost regularly, certainly regularly, almost daily, um, small blogs about companies being hacked and that their cybersecurity is not where it needs to be. And we're wondering, you know, as the head of HR, I get questions all the time. Why should I care? Why should I care about this? And we're going to talk about that today. Today's guest is Dennis O'Shea. He's the founder of Mobile Mentor uh, in New Zealand in 20, um, what is it, 2004. Since then, his company has helped millions of people unlock the potential of their technology. And this is his passion now, this idea of cybersecurity or privacy. And how do we get the next generation of people, young people, Gen Z, hate to use that term, classification stuff, but how do we get the next generation to really pay attention to the vulnerabilities that are just kind of built into the world that we live in? and to avoid them having their information um, stolen, misused, or help their company lose their information and cost them millions because everything is tied to the bottom line. You want better employment, you want better employment packages, you want raises, then a company has to be profitable to be able to even have that conversation to start. And a hack can shut a company down. Lots of things, lots of really, really bad things can happen. In particular, what can happen in our government. So with that, hey, let's talk about privacy. Hi, Dennis. How are you today? I'm very well. Thanks, Denise. That was a fantastic intro. Lovely to be Uh, on the show. (laughs) I just hope that, you know, people tune into this because it's one of those things that we don't really think about. We just assume that somebody else has done it, whether it's at Apple or it's Google or it's, you know, some other phone company, T-Mobile or AT&T. We just assume that they're taking care of us because there's that little thing of your privacy is important to us, right? Your, <laughs> right? I mean, they, they, all of them, we all sign. And then we sign that thing that says, 
oh, let us use your, these are the cookies we're going to automatically install on. Yeah, yeah. But we do have, we do think that these other agencies, these companies, these people outside of us are taking care of us. And so, and for the most part, the majority of people are pretty okay, right? Why are you so passionate about this? I'm passionate about it because of the human interest side of it. I'm less passionate about the technical side and the technology implications. I'm really passionate about the art of making security invisible in business. Because for years, there's been a trade-off between security and the employee's experience. And what we see is when companies try and tighten up their security, it compromises the experience people have. That's Mm. always been a, a seesaw between security and experience. Now, what we know is that we can make security invisible in a way. So there's security everywhere and everything we do, but when it's well-designed, it's not intrusive and you're not being annoyed by security. It's not in your face all the time. And as corporate leaders, you're not having to bang on about security and annoy employees because you've got it woven into the fabric of everything that's happening. And getting that right is where organizations need to go rather than bashing employees over the head with legacy thinking about security. So the art of making security invisible, that's what excites me. You know, Mm -hmm. I've been in the business for 18 years. I've been in and around technology for 30 something years. I'm bored with technology. It doesn't excite me anymore. I'm over it. But I'm genuinely stimulated by the impact of technology on people and how people get empowered by technology. That, wow. that journey goes on forever. Mm-hmm. And that I find that deeply, um, very, very, very interesting. I don't know that most people think of it that way, um, or we're not to the point where we're thinking about the experience so much. It's yeah. just we're kind of mm-hmm. banging out and making choices and that. I noted, that, you know, before when we talked, you talked about a study you did, your company mm-hmm. did, of a thousand people in the U.S. and and another five hundred in Australia. Mm-hmm. What did you learn? Oh my God, we learned a lot. We got we uncovered some some bombshells. So what we wanted to do was understand how are people working in a post pandemic setting, and mm-hmm. what are what's their security like, and we were thinking about. People like you and I right now, people in their home offices working on company machines and, you know, out of sight from the company. And what's the security that's actually happening in their lives and what's their experience like? And if you look in the window of anybody working from home, when you look at their desk, you probably see a cluster of devices and monitors and cables. And then they've got operating systems and all the devices and applications. And they're signing in everywhere with different passwords. And there's probably a BYO device, you know, a personal device, and there's a work device. And it's a great big mess, right? And it's the same in everyone's home office, wherever they, wherever they are. And we were really interested in understanding how much security is actually at play here. And is it intrusive for the employee? And how do they get help when they need help? And what's going on out there in the millions of home offices? Because You talked before about the telcos and the banks and healthcare. They're now entrusting their data to employees out in suburbia. Mm -hmm. So the new corporate perimeter is no longer in the office where there's a domain and a network and a firewall and all that traditional 
security stuff. Mm-hmm. It's now in your home office mm-hmm. where you've probably got a consumer grade connection from Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile. Mm-hmm. So you're on the public internet, a consumer grade connection. If you're in a house like mine, that connection is shared with the TikTok generation mm-hmm. and the YouTubers and the Netflixers and the Fortniteers. And I'm doing work on that connection. I'm accessing secure information. I'm using, uh, you know, I'm accessing all our corporate data and it's now in suburbia on my home devices over a, a consumer grade internet connection. And that's the same for every healthcare worker who works remotely, educator, uh, government employee, uh, financial services person. So the new perimeter for security is suburbia. Mm-hmm. And that changes many, many things. And, and what we know now is that we as a society are more vulnerable now than we were pre-pandemic because of where we work and where the new perimeter is. And through the pandemic, we saw a 500% increase in cybercrime, 500%. Oh. Wow. So there's only one thing spreading faster than COVID in the last couple of years. <laughs> and, and it wasn't good. And mm-hmm. so the, the number of hacks and the ransoms and the data leaks have just continued to multiply because you know the cyber criminals have gone after the soft underbelly of society and were able to see all the weaknesses and exploit them in mm-hmm. a way that they didn't do pre-pandemic. So we were really interested in understanding what's actually going out, out there um, in the way people are working from home. And that's why we did this study. I find it fascinating the way you've, you've reframed what we're thinking about. Now, I, I'm pretty sure that anybody in a company who is you know, handling you know, security for the information, security for the IT networks on all those things like that have been just biting their nails all night long. But I also think that they have, they've been frustrated in getting the message out that things have changed because we're now in a hybrid and or remote, you know, kind of location or, 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 or areas like that. They, they have lost control and yet getting non technology people to understand that piece without you know having panic or sounding like you know little chicken the sky is falling the sky is falling etc i think that's a hard conversation for them to have really hard yeah i think really, that's a hard really. conversation i mean we still struggle with parents and security on you know at a 4 year old you give them a phone or you give them a device that you know connects them to YouTube, et cetera. And yet, you know, they can figure out how to get past the parental controls. Yeah. Kinds of things. How do you have this conversation? Well, that's that's actually a really great question you've asked. And let me give you both sides of it. I talk to security professionals all the time, like chief information security officers in companies. They're exhausted. <laughs> they're 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 really, really struggling because they know that they need to keep communicating security messaging out to the employees, but they're fatigued because they know people just delete their messages. They ignore all communication or a huge portion of the communication on security and good password hygiene and being careful and all that. So the security professionals are are fatigued and they're buying all these tools and all this technology. And some large companies now have 52 different security vendors. 52. So the security professionals are trying really, really hard and really struggling to cut through with the message. Then if you think about the employee's perspective, well, in our study, 
one of the first questions we asked people was, what do you care about most, your organization security or your personal privacy? And the answer was 80-20. 80% of people care about their personal privacy more than their organization security. And that's a profound insight. And it varies by generation. And the younger generations care least about corporate security and most about their personal privacy. Now, that's a head spin when you think about who shares their lives all over social media. It's the young generation. Most young people will share their pet's name and their date of birth and a whole bunch of other details in social media. Now, we also know from our research, you take those two pieces of information, you've got their password, date of birth and pet's name. You know, There's a huge portion of people who will use those two data points to, to form a password to something in their lives. And we know that... People care deeply about their personal privacy. Mm-hmm. They don't care so much about corporate security. Mm-hmm. And so they're not listening to security messaging from the organization. So the way we think this um, needs to be reconciled and can easily be reconciled is to reframe the message to be one about privacy. So if you're a security officer, a security professional, or head of IT, instead of banging on about corporate security, change the message to be one about privacy. And mm. so if we say, Denise, this company has your social number, your salary, all your personal details, your home address, and we have a duty, we have an obligation to protect your information, make sure it never leaks outside this organization, mm-hmm. never gets sold on the dark mm-hmm. web, is never part of a ransom, mm-hmm. and the same applies to your colleagues. Mm-hmm. And by extension to our customers or our patients or our mm-hmm. students or our citizens, mm-hmm. Now you're listening because I'm mm-hmm. talking about you mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a deeply personal message. Mm-hmm. And so when we, when we reframe it as one about privacy and say, and then we can say, and that's why we need to do two-factor authentication. That's why we need to have a strong password policy. That's why we need to keep our software up to date so that your information never, gets, never becomes a commodity that gets sold or traded. Interesting. So now I hear, now I'm listening. That's, it, you're right. It's about me. But before you mentioned something about, you know, we're share, we're on a consumer grade technology, you know, we're whatever the company's name is, we're sharing it with our kids on Netflix and Fortnite and all kinds of chat rooms that I assume we're good, but I'm not. So I'm now in my house, I hear this message and I'm now now I'm a little bit like, whoa, wait a minute, I need to do something different. What would that different be given I, I am going to be using my home router? I'm going to be using my home stuff. How do I up my privacy in my home then as an employee to protect my own data? It's, it's very hard. And, and our homes nowadays have more and more devices that connect to our Wi-Fi or our internet. And some of those devices can easily be hacked as well, you know, printers and thermostats mm-hmm. and all sorts of devices. So we almost have to assume that our home internet connection is not secure. I think that's a safe assumption. It's not okay. secure. And even some corporate networks need to make that assumption as well, that they're not secure. And what people individually can do is, is start with good password hygiene. Mm-hmm. And it's shocking what's going on with passwords. So we found through our research, we found three inter- interesting things. People are completely fatigued and sick and tired of passwords. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I think we average 97 passwords per person now. If you add up all the passwords for your, your streaming accounts, your social media, your various banks, your work, uh, all your private stuff, 
Um, so it's a crazy number of passwords. And we're not walking databases. We cannot remember 97 unique passwords that are strong and have characters and numbers and, and all this nonsense. We can't do it. And we certainly can't change them every 90 days. You know, it's just impossible. Yep. So what we do as a, as a society, we find hacks and we cheat and we come up with little, little lazy ways of creating our passwords. Mm-hmm. And we know that from our research. So we know mm-hmm. 15% of people will use their pet's name as the basis of the password. 6% of people just use the word password. So it's, it's crazy how lazy we all are in creating passwords. And then the problem that's even bigger than that is our password hygiene, what we do with our passwords, mm-hmm. where we write them down or where we save them. Mm-hmm. And we know 31% of people write their work passwords in a personal notebook. Mm-hmm. 24% put them on an app on their mm-hmm. personal phone. Mm-hmm. And another 22% use like a spreadsheet or a document and save it to Dropbox or somewhere in the cloud. Mm-hmm. So we're really we're really sloppy in what we're doing with our passwords. Mm-hmm. And we also know now that even if you use a browser and you let the browser save your passwords, well, that's crazy because that browser password manager is not secure. Mm-hmm. And even the password management tools are getting hacked. They're getting mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of hacking activity mm-hmm. because they're, they're, they're big targets. So it's really problematic today trying to manage all these passwords, really problematic. And the one thing we can do, all of us in our homes and in our works, is go passwordless. So move forward with technology that enables us to do away with passwords completely. So you've probably already had that experience on an iPhone. Do you use an iPhone? Yes. You do. You pick it up, it scans your face, scans you in. So that's a biometric sign-in experience. It scans your face, takes about 300,000 uh, data points from your face. Mm-hmm. And it will say, this is Denise Cooper. Mm-hmm. Beyond all doubt, we know this is Denise Cooper. Mm-hmm. And that signs you into the iOS operating system on the iPhone. Step mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Then step two is called single sign-on. Mm-hmm. So if we know it's Denise Cooper, we know you're using the phone in, in a way you normally use it, then you will have a single sign-on experience, which means that you will then automatically be signed into a whole bunch of trusted apps apps that were um, installed from the Apple App Store that had been vetted and secured or maybe provided by your company. Mm-hmm. So you've got those two things together, biometrics and single sign-on. And mm-hmm. the third thing is multi-factor. Let's mm-hmm. say you want to sign into a secure app or a bank account that push you a code. You'd have to punch in the six-digit code. Now combine those three things together, biometrics, single sign-on, multi-factor authentication. That's a passwordless experience. Mm. And most people have not typed a password on their phone for quite a while. Yeah. And that's wonderful. Yeah. So what it means is that we've actually improved the security and the employee experience. And this is my theme around making security invisible. Mm -hmm. And now we take that beautiful experience you just had on your iPhone and apply that to your laptop or your desktop or your tablet and all your devices. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, you're not using passwords anymore. And so ultimately, we can start to reduce and eliminate the passwords we're using. And the future is that people will join an organization. And on day one, they'll be told, here's your access code. It's a four-digit number, you know, one, two, three, four, whatever. And you use that to sign in for the first time. And it'll take the facial scans and you do some other authentication and verification and upload some documents and blah, blah, blah. All that happens once. But you create a secure profile for this person. And from then on, that access code is no longer valid. But from then on, it's all biometrics and single sign-on 
and and two-factor authentication. So that employee doesn't need a password. Mm-hmm. And we'll be able to access all the trusted applications in the organization mm-hmm. and maybe use two-factor for external applications. So we'll get to one password pretty quickly and then mm-hmm. none eventually. Mm-hmm. And that makes all of us more secure. Or at least until the hackers decide how they're going to figure the, the next level out, yes? Of course. And they're, 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 they're smart. They're super smart. And they're always a step ahead. So we're, we're on the back foot when it comes to protecting ourselves. We have mm-hmm. to assume they're, they're multiple, multiple steps ahead of us. You, we talked about the study itself that you did. Were there any behaviors or generational differences that you'd like to highlight about the study? Because this is a group of people, you know, Gen X is post 9-11. Um, and, I, and several podcasts ago, I've talked about the differences about post 9-11 children versus and yeah. adults versus yeah. pre 9-11. Yeah. So I know you don't like the term Gen Z, but I have to use it to explain the some okay. of the differences. So we looked at five generations in the study. Gen Z, um, young millennials, older millennials, Gen X, and and the baby boomers. And Gen Z differs from all of others in quite a few ways. And when we dug into it, we we now understand why we didn't at first. But the, the primary thing to know about Gen Z is they're the first generation to arrive in the workplace with no recollection of 9-11. Mm. So everybody listening to your podcast, I'm sure, or most people will remember exactly where they were, what they were doing, who they were with on the day. Yeah. And it had a profound impact on us psychologically, absolutely, you know, enormous impact. It was one of the heaviest things that ever happened in our lives. But Gen Z were not impacted because they were probably crawling around the kitchen and nappies Mm -hmm. and it went right over their heads. They missed Mm -hmm. it all. Mm -hmm. And in the 20 years since 9-11, we all saw security become a big deal. Mm-hmm. At first, it was airport security and, oh, you know, what a pain that was. And then we saw the emergence of homeland security, and that became a big force in our lives. And then cybersecurity, obviously. And security has just been a big thing for us um, for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. But Gen Z kind of missed all of that. They, they weren't aware of it. And they, they went through the education system. And then they graduated, in many cases, they graduated and they joined the workforce during a pandemic. And they probably got their first job, in many cases, working remotely. So mm-hmm. if they're knowledge workers, they may have joined an organization remotely, been mm-hmm. onboarded remotely, and worked remotely. Okay. So that basically means they've had a different world experience to all the rest of us. Different, very different world experience to the generation just above them, the, the young millennials, mm-hmm. because they were aware of 9-11. They mm-hmm. were cognizant of all the security changes. They joined a workforce you know, in the office. And so Gen Z doesn't see or notice or pay attention to security in the way other generations do. Mm-hmm. But Gen Z is hyper aware of privacy, mm-hmm. hyper aware. And I talk to my kids, I've got three, and they see messages all the time about privacy on social media. It's in their face. Mm-hmm. And they read, they actually read some of this stuff. Mm. They say, hey, dad, look at this. And they, they read, they notice and read privacy policies in the way older people don't. Yeah. But they miss security policies in the way older people would notice those. Okay. And so Gen Z is just wired differently. And mm-hmm. I've learned that we have to respect Gen Z and think about them differently. And 
because they don't see or notice security in the same way as other generations, they are doing things that we would consider to be really bad habits. You know, like what? about the passwords before. Oh, okay. But that's one. Uh, Gen Z seems to have acquired more passwords than any other generation, even though they've been in the workplace a very short time. Mm-hmm. They're very tech savvy. They're signed mm-hmm. up to all these things and accounts and apps, and mm-hmm. they've got a world of passwords. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But they're also driving what's known as shadow IT. So that's using services and products and cloud applications, not provided by the company, mm-hmm. but ones they go and sign up to themselves independently. Mm. And part of that is driven by their frustration with corporate IT. So they come into the workforce, they come out of education, they're probably used to using Gmail and G Suite and Dropbox yep. and all of that. They come into the workforce and they learn about this thing called Windows and there's Teams and Outlook and SharePoint and, uh, SharePoint and all these things. Mm-hmm. And, and they perceive all of that to be a bit clunky. Mm-hmm. And a bit slow and, 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 and getting in the way. So they're the, they're the generation most likely to fall back on G Suite or Gmail or, or Dropbox, especially if they have to share a large file mm-hmm. with somebody or do something that the corporate tools don't enable them to do mm-hmm. or spin up some other cloud application. And so they're driving a whole other <laughs> set of applications out to the side that the company isn't aware of, isn't aware mm-hmm. of and doesn't mm-hmm. manage and doesn't secure and doesn't control. And so that creates new security risks. And there's just a bunch of things that, that Gen Z is doing differently. And that presents challenges for organizations, mm-hmm. big challenges. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I actually, this is one of the things I'm very passionate about. I think if we, if we make Gen Z feel like they are a problem generation, then we are the problem for doing so. Okay. And it's likely to happen if we don't deliberately stop ourselves. So it would be very easy for HR and IT to look at Gen Z and say, you kids are not paying attention to our security messaging and you're careless with your passwords and you're using all these different applications and you're putting us at risk. That would be a very easy thing to do. Yeah, yeah. But I think we need to look at it differently and we need to realize that from their perspective, coming into the workforce, they see us living this legacy. Mm-hmm. They see that the problem is us. Right. That we've created a workplace and a work environment for people our generation, and it was not designed for their generation. Mm-hmm. And our research showed that. Mm-hmm. So a very small percentage of Gen Z believe that their organization's onboarding process mm-hmm was properly designed for remote workers. Mm-hmm. And a very few, a very small percentage believe that the tools and technology given them to work are suitable for the job they do and the way they work. Mm-hmm. And the really scary thing is 71% of Gen Z through the study told us that they think other organizations are doing a better job with technology and tools than their own company. Meaning the Dropbox, the Zooms. Other cloud speci- applications. Yeah, potentially. They weren't specific about it. But okay. They, they, but they believe the grass is greener. They believe, uh, 71% believe other companies are doing a better job. Gotcha. Now, they don't know that because yeah. this is their first job. Right. right. They came out of education, joined the workforce during the pandemic. This is probably their first job. Right. And they think their current company is not doing a great, a great job with technology and tools and onboarding. And mm-hmm. they think others must be doing better. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that if we try and tighten up on them and clamp down on them and beat them over the head with more security, 
they'll probably walk because they're going to perceive that as friction or adding Mm -hmm. friction to their lives. Mm -hmm. Just like if we say to them, hey, we now require you to come into the office. You've got to commute in the morning. You've got to pay for overpriced parking. You've got to pay for an overpriced lunch. You've got to sit in the cubicle and work with people you probably don't like. That's going to create a certain kind of, <laughs> a certain kind of friction. Right? <laughs> and then if we say you've got to use all these kind of legacy security tools and VPNs and domains and all this stuff, that's friction. Yeah. And if we, if we make them feel like they are a problem generation, that's certainly going to create friction. And we did this before. We did this with millennials. Mm-hmm. And you might remember, and I certainly remember going to conferences mm-hmm. and hearing speakers say unkind things about these millennials and what a difficult generation they were and how are we going to deal with them? And they bring all these expectations and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, right? yeah. There was a yeah. lot written and a lot said about millennials. Yeah. Pause for a moment and, and stop and think, who built the digital world we now live in? Yeah. Who built the digital infrastructure that runs our lives? The Netflix and Uber and... Mm-hmm. Spotify and all these amazing things in our lives. So despite all the horrible things that were said about millennials, they've done amazing things, mm-hmm. right? I now look at Gen Z and I think, oh my God, what are they going to do? Yeah. How are they going to take and, us and to the how, next level? Yes. And how do we empower them to unlock their creativity and their potential in the workplace and do great things? How do we not get in their way and make them feel like they're a problem generation and that we need to beat them over the head with security. And I think that's really, really important that we figure this out. And one of the things we have to do is we have to make security invisible for them. Mm -hmm. We have to make it so that everything they do is secure. There's security everywhere. So we're protecting their information, everybody's information, but it's not seen as an obstacle and something in their face. Mm-hmm. And so that that concept of going passwordless, that's one of many things that organizations can do. And doing initiatives like that is how we will attract and retain that Gen Z, that young generation. And by God, we need them. You know, we need more teachers. We need more police officers. We need more drivers. We need more nurses. We desperately need Gen Z to come into the workplace and, and fill all the all the vacancies. But We've got a lot to improve in how we attract them and retain them. Yeah. And the other thing, when we talk about this whole thing of post 9-11, I think this is also the generation that probably feels the least safe. Um, you know, they had the drills in the schools of active shooters. And so I find, and, you know, when I'm doing my recruiting and whatnot, one of the key questions that people are asking um, and you can almost, uh, you know, you're either a parent or you're a younger person. And one of the questions out the box is, do I have to come into an office? Uh, do I have to, you know, mm-hmm. make this this way? Because mm-hmm. I think s- to some extent, it'd be interesting to understand how the fact that they grew up in a world that was physically unsafe for them, or at least mm-hmm. perceived that way translates into this idea about my privacy, my personal ability to control my world. Because when I hear privacy, it's about me. When I hear cybersecurity, it's about you, you Mm -hmm. taking care of me. And Mm -hmm. so I wonder how much of this drive on them about privacy is also tied to the need for personal 
um, agency, the ability to control my own environment, because that's the world that we have welcomed them into. I'd never thought of it from that perspective before, that they might not want to go into a workplace because of physical security uh, considerations. Is that the specific issue they're asking about in, in interviews? So much of it is, do I have to come in? Um, and there's lots of discussions in when I'm coaching about bullies in the workplace. So this, what can, you know, HR tends to be almost helpless in handling bullies in the workplace. And so they grow up understanding that bullies create security issues in the schools because that's what we, that's how we kind of present these act, these people who come in and start shooting people. Um, why kids bring guns to, you know, to school is because they're being bullied or they feel like they're unsafe and they need a way to be safe. So there's this whole um, wraparound that just as I'm listening to you, I wonder how much of, you know, this idea of privacy, which is really about me taking control of, is wrapped up in the world that we've kind of delivered to them of a, you know, it's not the global problem that we have to live with. It's Susie down the street. It's, you know, will I be kidnapped? in the parking lot kind of thing. And I know this is getting to be set, kind of a deep down conversation, but I think when you talk about the privacy issue, I think it has to be wrapped around um, for all of us in terms of our own agency and our own ability to begin to take care of ourselves and how do we take care of ourselves. And this is just one aspect of not allowing someone else to take away our own privileges around how we want to live our life, how we want to protect our children, how we want to see the world and go shopping, et cetera. You know, COVID can't go out because somebody out there is going to have a disease that I might get, or I don't even believe it because it's not COVID, it's monkeypox, it's the flu. Personally, I don't really care what it is. I have a deep abiding thing of, I don't want to get sick, period. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've just given me something really useful, Denise. I had never before thought about the the, the school security in the in the context of Gen Z, okay. because I talked before about how they kind of missed airport security and yeah. cybersecurity and homeland security, but they have experienced school security in a way no other generation has. That's exactly right. Because the last twenty years, really, you know, I did I didn't live in America all that time, but I've been a keen observer of what's going on here watching the growth in school shootings and all that and and the response or, or lack of response towards it. And my kids came here and they went through all the lockdowns and drills and there were a couple of near misses. And my God, it, it's, it's incredible to see what those kids have had to live through yeah. and then see it on the news that another school, you know, had an incident and it's real. Mm-hmm. And so none of the other generations really experienced that in the way Gen Z did. So yeah. now they're showing up in the workforce, probably carrying a whole bunch of fear, resentment towards a government that, you know, offered thoughts and prayers, but didn't actually, you know, fundamentally change the risk profile for those students. I wouldn't even say governments. I'd also say corporations, because I think that they, when they come in and they see leaders from, you know, a different generation, a different, that are older than them. And they walk in and the experience they have is less is this idea of friction, as you've described it all the time. 
it it tweaks a little bit of okay, you're no different than, and why should I trust you? And I think it just makes it a little bit more difficult, at least in my experience, to get them to be more participative in the workplace, to be more participative and and want to do the to shift and to change because you you know change requires that you trust me and if i'm creating a world where it is difficult for you i'm asking you and then and then kind of boohooing as you said you know oh you know you people don't know you young people need to get a grip this is just the way it is and so again what they're hearing in their their psyche or in their 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 mind is it's the same as I grew up all these years, you were supposed to protect me in a different way. And it didn't happen. And the news is flooded with lack of protection and personal safety for this particular generation. You know, everything down to if I go to Walmart, I might get snatched in child trafficking. I mean, so this whole idea of I have to take care of myself, my privacy, that kind of thing. I think as we look forward for this generation, I think that they will actually change the way we think about security in a way that is unfathomable to us because of the way that they have had to live and the way they've had to think about security, privacy, protection of myself of my generation, of my, because we have to do it because they aren't doing it. And I think that they will, they will have less tolerance for don't do anything or it can't be done or we'll get to that or you don't understand. You mentioned the trust topic and something I want to touch on there. The, the survey, the study we did showed us that trust between employees and employers is uh, extraordinarily high right now Mm -hmm. coming out of the pandemic. It's really, really high. And what we found is that 75% of employees believe their leadership is truly listening Mm -hmm. to what employees need. And people feel like their, their, their bosses and leaders were checking in with them, really cared about them. There was a lot of, you know, welfare initiatives that were happening inside organizations during Mm -hmm. the pandemic and trust Mm -hmm. is genuinely high. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful thing. And we think about how do we harness that for not take advantage of it, but harness it because all it will take is two bad decisions and you lose that trust, you know, two fumbles. And so we think that the next steps that leaders take are super important, how they use that trust that they have earned. Mm -hmm. They've truly earned it through the pandemic and, and, and taking their organizations to the next level. Well, you know, this conversation could continue to go on. (laughs) (laughs) I could talk to to you all day. I know, right? And just think through, just (laughs) like, how does this really, you know, affect us? I mean, there's so many different ways in terms of uh, thinking about our privacy, thinking about taking agency or control over our own life. And I think that, you know, each generation brings something absolutely beautiful and amazing. And we look back and we go, oh, my God, what, you know. And so yeah. this generation and, and the, that is coming into the workforce, this new group of individuals who've lived through an experience that the rest of us can, can, cannot perceive in the same way 
brings a new level of what diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, yes. all of the, um, you know, psychological safety in the workplace, all of those kinds of things now have a new way of intersectionality and thinking about how we weave these things together. And I think it is going to be an interesting time to be in human resources and IT and just in terms of marketing and how we think about how do we create change in the workplace? How do we create change that not only is about the workplace, but is also about the world that we live in? And I think that, that Gen Z will drive the change yeah. because they're coming in in waves now. So in May, there was a huge wave of Gen Z arriving in the workforce. There'll be another massive wave of them next May. Five years from now, Gen Z would be flooding the workplace Mm -hmm. They'll be in their second or third positions. Mm -hmm. They'll be taking on managerial roles and then leadership mm -hmm. roles. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we're not getting any younger. <laughs> and so they, they will take over the workforce yeah. in the next decade or so. And so this research we're doing, we're going to repeat this um, over the next five or 10 years, multiple times. So mm -hmm. we can kind of track the evolution of the workforce and the perceptions people have around their security and privacy and the employee experience yeah. And how good a job is my company doing in, in, in creating an environment where this generation can thrive? And so I, I think it's super interesting to watch this generation come into the workforce because they will change everything. Dennis, how can people get a hold of you if they want to talk about this more? I'm on LinkedIn, Dennis with one N, Dennis O'Shea. I'm not on any other social platform. Uh, my company name is Mobile Mentor. It's mobile-mentor.com. And we help our clients make security invisible. If you want to read more about the research we did, it's on a separate website. It's called um, endpointecosystem.com. E-N-D-P-O-I-N-T, endpointecosystem.com. Okay. And guys, you know, we'll put those in the show notes so that you can click over and have this conversation. I think this is an important conversation. And this is the reason why I asked Dennis to come on to the show today to talk about not just about security and cybersecurity and privacy, but to also talk really deeply about we have a new workforce coming in. They have a whole different experience and we should be excited about what will they bring to us and how will they change our world? Because they are ready, willing and able if we open the door to help them figure out what to do. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it's going to start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google, or wherever you get your podcast. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye.